Okay, uh, if you would open with me Bibles to Acts, not Acts, John, John chapter 4 this morning, John chapter 4. You know, I, I thought last week we were going to finish uh, the series the, of messages we've been on, uh, looking at the fact that God is holy. We've been studying about the holiness of God, and, and uh, I, I thought we were going to finish it last week, and I even tried to as I preached, I think, over an hour, but... Uh, there were still some things that, that were left uh, unfinished from our time last week. Uh, and, and last week we were really talking about our worship. And uh, so let's, let's jump right in in John chapter 4. I want to pick us up right where, right where we left off last week. Uh, let's reacclimate where we were and then uh, we'll, we'll move on to uh, some new things this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Lord, without your word, we would be lost. Without your word, we would be in darkness. Without your word, we would be dead and blind and sinful. But Lord, because of your word, you have redeemed us. Lord, by your word, you have given us faith. Lord, you have shown us uh, the truth of the gospel through your word, the spirit moving in our lives. Lord, I pray, and I, and I thank you, Lord, that that's not a one-time event at conversion, but it's through the rest of our Christian life that you continue to sanctify us by your word to make us holy as you are holy, Lord, that we would walk out uh, the life that you called us to live for your glory and your glory alone, that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even as the waters cover the sea, as your people, the church, the ecclesia, the gathering of your saints, as we arise to, to not be afraid, to not be bashful, to not be timid, but to be bold and to proclaim your truth and to proclaim the truth, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So John chapter 4, uh, Jesus ministering to the woman at the well, and we're going to pick it up again in, in verse 20, or yes, verse 20. Uh, the woman at the well says to Jesus, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, as we've been studying the holiness of God, the, the idea that we were looking at last week was that if God is holy, separate, other, transcendent in all of his attributes, if God is holy and he has called his people to be holy, should not that affect our gatherings together? Should not the fact that God is holy, should not that influence our worship of God? And so I laid out for you last week the, 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 the principle, the idea that, that yes, in fact, it should, and that God actually uh, cares very deeply about the ways in which we worship him. And so we looked at last week that there is some worship that God accepts, that there's some worship that God receives, and yet there's some worship that God rejects. And Jesus even here says this as he ministers to the woman at the well. He draws a distinction between the worship that's being offered in Jerusalem up to the Father and the worship that they're offering according to their own traditions, not in Jerusalem, but in Samaria on their own mountain, not following the word of God. And so Jesus tells her that those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so what we offer to the Lord, and Jesus says the time is coming and is now here. He is here. He's, he's brought the new covenant into effect. The time is now here where we, we don't worship God through physical means, but we offer to God spiritual worship. We don't worship God physically, so to speak. We, we offer spiritual praises and sacrifices to God, spiritual worship. And so Jesus says that we worship him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so our, our spirits are drawn up into the majesty, the wonder, the awe, the reverence of God. 
We give voice to, to our worship through singing and, and singing His praises. But it's truly a spiritual act. Because if you're, if you're uh, just singing the songs but not engaging with God in your spirit, you're not worshiping God. You can sing the songs. You can come to church. You can participate in communion. But if your soul and your spirit are not engaged with God... You're not worshiping God. And so what Jesus is saying is that it's not about all of the external. It's truly about the internal. It's truly about the heart. So he says they must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we looked at last week, the truth is according to God's word. That we don't just worship God any way that we think we ought to, but that we should worship God according to his word, how God is revealed in his word. And we looked at several examples. We looked at the example of Cain and Abel, the first example of worship in the Bible, that God received one of their offerings, but yet he rejected the other. We looked at Nadab and Abihu, two priests that went in before the Lord and and disobeyed God's law as they offered up incense to the Lord. And God, God consumed them with fire as judgment against their worship according to their way and not God's way. We looked at uh, David bringing the tabernacle, uh, the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem and, and how one of his servants reached out and touched the Ark, not, not reverencing the, the, the presence of God. And God struck David's servant Uzzah, struck him dead. We looked at Ananias and Sapphira, a New Testament example of, of a couple that was perverting their worship, their offering before the Lord. They were lying to the Holy Spirit and God struck them dead. And so the whole point of last week was that God takes this stuff seriously. And if God takes it seriously, we ought to take it seriously. Amen. And so I want to pick up right there and and just, again, it matters how we worship God. There's a right way to worship and there's a wrong way to worship. And so I want to look at today the elements of our worship gathering. You know, when we come together as a church, when destiny comes together as a church on Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, there's certain things that we do every single week. Have you noticed that? There's sort of a pattern here. Why do we do the things that we do? Is it just because of tradition? Is it just because that's how it was when we grew up in church and so we just keep doing what we've always done? Is it because we all got together and a group of us put some ideas on the whiteboard and said, hey, why don't we try this? Hey, why don't we try that? Why do we do the things that we do when we gather for worship? Now, if you go to other churches in San Antonio, uh, predominantly, probably most of them, their service will be somewhat similar to ours. Some will be different. Some Some will be very similar. What is it that determines what God's people do when they gather for worship on the Lord's day? Why do we do what we do? I'm going to explain that to you on all of the elements of our gathering today. Now, there's two principles that that you can uh, uh, adhere to when you gather for worship as a church. There's two principles. And every church, whether they know it or not, is adhering to one of these two principles. Even if they've never heard of these principles that I'm going to outline for you this morning, every church adheres to one of them. There's two principles for a church that gathers for worship. The first is called the regulative principle of worship. And the second is called the normative principle for worship. Now, how many of you have, you would say, I've been in church for a long time and I've never heard of this? Okay, you're going to learn something new today. Wonderful. Regulative principle of worship, normative principle of worship. And every church that gathers practices one of these two. The normative principle of worship states that worship in the church can include any elements that are not prohibited in Scripture. Normative principle any elements the church can use that are not strictly prohibited by Scripture. 
So whatever is not prohibited, specifically in Scripture, is permitted in worship as long as it is agreeable to the peace and the unity of the church. So that's the normative principle. Whatever the Word does not strictly condemn, the church is free to use as they gather to worship God. So the normative principle would say, well, God's Word strictly condemns idolatry. So we shouldn't have idols in church when we come and worship God because God's Word strictly forbids idolatry. That's the normative principle. Now, the regulative principle contrasting against the normative principle says that only those practices or elements which are specifically commanded or modeled in Scripture are to be permitted in worship gatherings. Do you see the difference? The normative principle says if God's Word doesn't forbid it, we can bring it in and use it in the church to the glory of God. The regulative principle says, oh, hold on a second. We should only do in our worship gatherings what God's Word specifically commands us to do or that we see modeled in other places in the Scripture. Do you see the difference? So let me give you some examples. I know of a church that on their Easter gathering recently, they opened their worship gathering with the ACDC song, Highway to Hell. And they, can you guess which principle they adhere to? That would be the normative principle. Because they say, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that you can't play ACDC in church. So we're free to use whatever is not strictly forbidden in the Word of God. That's the normative principle. And so they said, well, we, let's use highway to hell. And so when people come to church, they'll hear about hell and then we can tell them, about Jesus and how they can get off the highway to hell and get onto the highway of heaven. I don't know if you know the song Highway to Hell. Um, I bet you probably do. Um, does not glorify God, does not exalt God. It in fact glorifies living a life that puts you on the highway to hell. And so to try and take what is straight from hell literally, and to try to use that to worship God uh, is an example of the normative principle. Now, certainly that's an extreme example. Uh, you, you can, the majority of churches in America today, especially very large mega evangelical churches, adhere to the normative principle of worship. And so, for example, you'll see a pastor who brings a bed on the stage and He'll preach from his bed about marriage. You'll have a pastor who turns his, the, the whole worship gathering into a basketball court. And he'll preach about how, I don't know, God wants you to score in life or something. I don't know. Right? It, it, it's just we, we take everything from the world and we just bring it into the church. What's very common today is uh, church at the movies. And you take... Uh, movies, popular movies that are out right now and you show clips of that in church and then you teach spiritual principles from the movies. That's the normative principle. Now, my dad, Dave Bell, loved him to death. He followed the normative principle of worship. Now, he didn't put a bed on the stage and put movies on the screen and sing Highway to Hell. He would never permit that. But he did, he did uh, permit certain things that are uh, not uh, uh, commanded in Scripture. Let me give you an example of this. And this is not a critique of my dad at all. Uh, but one, one year, we were having a church anniversary and so we were getting ready to, to celebrate having an anniversary service and we were in a staff meeting uh, Pastor Doug's here. He probably will remember this. Uh, we were in a staff meeting, and my dad was saying, we need to celebrate. How can we celebrate God and what God has done on our church anniversary service? And so some ideas were going around, and my dad said, you know what would be cool? Why don't we pass out, like, noisemakers and party horns when people come into the church? And when they, we, we, we're singing songs like... People can blow their, you know, party horns and they can make their noisemakers. And 
that got somebody else's mind thinking, and they said, you know what would be cool? Why don't we get some Frisbees? Why don't we get some Frisbees, and during worship, we'll just throw Frisbees, and somebody else said, let's get some beach balls, and so then the next thing we know on our church anniversary service, we've got a basket full of noisemakers, and party horns, and I think we may have even had hats, you know, little hats you want to put on, and you could pick up your Frisbee on the way in, and there was even some beach balls going back and forth during the worship time. Now, it was a celebratory time. Let, let, let there be no mistake about that. And things were going really, really well until one dear sister got whacked in the face with a Frisbee. <laughs> Hard. And it just, I mean, it just so happened that it, the person that got whacked in the face with the Frisbee was the absolute worst person to get whacked in the face <laughs> with the Frisbee. You know, it wasn't one of the kids. It wasn't some strong, strapping young man that could just be like, eh, whatever. No, it was, a, it was an elderly lady who didn't appreciate getting whacked in the face with a Frisbee while she's trying to worship God. Again, that's an example of a, the normative principle because nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't throw Frisbees in church, so let's use it to celebrate God. The regulative principle states only that which is specifically commanded or modeled in Scripture are to be permitted in worship gatherings. Now, what I like about the normative principle is it gives freedom for creativity in worshiping God. I like that. God has made us creative people. God is the creator himself. And it's good to exercise our creativity as we worship the creator God. What I don't like about the normative principle is it has no hard guidelines that would tell somebody, maybe I ought not to throw a Frisbee in church. That's what I like about the regulative principle is that it places some guidelines on how we should worship God. And so I, what I don't like about the regulative principle is that sometimes people can become very legalistic about it. And I, I, a spirit of legalism is, is, uh, is a cancer to a church where you, become, you, be, you just start straining out gnats on every little thing. And um, that's not what we want to do as a people either. But I do see some wisdom in, in the regulative principle. And what I like about the regulative principle is that it, ha it places a high view on the gathering of God's people when they come together on Sunday morning. Amen. It, it elevates the gathering. And, and really on, on our whole series on the church and even these last few weeks on the holiness of God, what I've been trying to communicate is that the gathering of God's people is a sacred thing. It is a holy thing. It is a holy gathering because God is holy and because God is here. God is here. When we gather in his name, he is right here in our midst. And so I am for celebrating God, absolutely. But I think we ought to do it in a way that is holy and in spirit and in truth according to the word of God. And so I think that we as God's people, that we should have a high view of the gathering together, that we should have a high view because God is here and God takes these things seriously. Now, I don't tell that story about my dad in any way to criticize him. I, I truly know he was a man who was led by the spirit of God. There's no doubt about that. Um, not at all. And so please don't hear that as a, some sort of critique or criticism. But what I am saying is that for us today, where we are in 2021, my dad didn't live in 2021. My dad lived till 2012. The world was a different place in 2012. And I think that we're in a day and age where the people of God, the church, need a reformation, need to, to take again seriously the things of God. 
And that starts with the gathering of God's people on Sunday morning. And so not in a legalistic spirit whatsoever, but um, in a spirit really of, of wanting to worship God in spirit and in truth, we are, we are going to adhere to, and we have, we have for years adhered to this regulative principle of our gathering. So, so let's walk through our gatherings together, what we typically do on a Sunday morning. And in fact, uh, if you will, flip over with me to 1 Timothy in your Bibles. First Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul seems to think that there are some guidelines for, for the church when the church comes together. How the church should worship God. He says here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 14. He says to, to Timothy, he's writing, he says, I hope to come to you soon. Okay, the, the, the church that Timothy is pastoring is the church in Ephesus. Paul had planted this church. It was a powerful church. It was an amazing church. Out from Ephesus, the gospel had gone to the whole region of Asia Minor. Paul was there for three years. He discipled those people. He built them up and he even sent out missionaries from that church. It was a powerful church. But Paul, on his last meeting with the Ephesian elders, he told them, there's going to be wolves that rise up in your midst, false teachers. They're going to split the church. It's going to divide the church. You need to keep a close watch on the word of God, on the doctrine, on the teaching. Otherwise, the, the, the church is going to be set back in the mission of God that God has for it. Well, that happened. And so Paul has sent Timothy, a young man, back to this church that was healthy but now is unhealthy because false teaching and false teachers have come in and brought division. And so Paul sends Timothy back to get this church back on track. That's what 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is all about. And so Paul tells Timothy, I hope to come to you soon to, to help him in the effort of reforming this church. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The, the church's role, the church's job is to uphold the truth of God. That's the job of the church. Not only in the life of the believers, but even in the culture and in the society. The job of the church is to uphold the truth of God. He says, we are the household of the living God. And he says, I want you to know how one ought to behave. And so there seems to be in Paul's mind some sort of things that are are off limits and some sort of things that we ought to be doing as a church. And so our worship gatherings typically consist of five things together that we do every week. We typically begin our time together with a reading from the scripture and prayer. And so I'm going to look at prayer first. Prayer as something that is biblical. Now I don't think, I, don't, I probably don't need to spend a lot of time convincing you that we should pray to God in church, right? But, but let me just lay some foundation for you. Acts 2.42 says that they devoted themselves, the church, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Ephesians 6, 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so typically we open our service in prayer. We, we pray uh, at the close of worship. We pray at the beginning of uh, the preaching of the Word of God. We pray at the conclusion of our, our preaching uh, together. Prayer is intermixed and intermingled all throughout our gathering. We encourage you as you take the Lord's Supper to, to pray either with your family or, or there by yourself. So it's prayer intermixed in everything that we're doing. Also, let me say this, that all of these five elements that we're going to look at today, they are all part of our worship. 
They're all part of worship. This whole gathering is worship unto the Lord. Worship doesn't stop when the musicians leave the stage. Amen. All of what we do together, we do as worship unto God. And so the first is prayer. The second is we typically uh, go into a time of singing, singing our praises to the Lord. Is that a biblical thing to do? Where in God's word does it tell us we ought to sing when we gather together? Well, Colossians, well, let's just say the whole book of Psalms, okay? The whole book of the Bible is about that. But also Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with with thankfulness in your heart to God. So when the church comes together, we should sing. We should be thankful in our hearts. We should lift up our voice and sing praises to God. Amen. It's what the Word of God teaches us to do and commands us to do. Hebrews 3.15 says, Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What is this sacrifice of praise to God? He says, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. And so the the musicians play and and we offer up thanksgiving to God, the fruit of our lips, spiritual sacrifices, spiritual worship. And I said last week that worship requires something. Do you remember what it is? Sacrifice. For us to worship God, there must be a sacrifice, something that... It must cost us something to worship God. David himself said that. He said, I will not offer up to the Lord a sacrifice that does not cost me something. And so we come together. It's it's an expense of our time. It's an expense of our energy. It's an expense of our effort. We, We come together. We make an effort to come to worship God. There's that element of sacrifice when we come together. There's also the element of of singing our praise to God. Singing our thankfulness to God. Sacrifice of praise to Him. Now, should we use instruments in worship? Where in the Bible does it tell us that we can use instruments in worship? Well, I read Psalm 150 this morning. Do you remember that? If you were late, just read Psalm 150. It's all about using the instruments to worship God. Should we clap when we gather? Psalm 47 says that we should praise God by clapping our hands. Why do we raise our hands in worship? 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that men men and women, that we should lift our hands as we pray and worship God. So clapping is a biblical thing. Lifting your hands in worship, a sign of surrender, a sign of sacrifice to the Lord is a biblical thing. Using instruments in worship is a biblical thing. Using songs and singing hymns and singing our praises to God, a biblical thing. The Word of God prescribes that we do this. So we pray, we sing, then we move into a time of the teaching of the Word of God. Why do we do that? Well, you're in 1 Timothy. You're in chapter 3. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And so we read the Word of God publicly. Together, we're devoted to that. Also be devoted to exhortation and to teaching. And so we read the scripture. I teach the scripture and I exhort you with the scripture. Paul says, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. 
Apparently, Timothy had been endowed with this gift of of reading the Scripture, exhorting the congregation, teaching the Word of God. Verse 15, he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, the doctrine. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Why do we open the Word of God when we come together? Because the Word of God tells us that when we come together, we're to open the Word of God. This is not just something that, you know, guys who like to hear themselves, hear the the sound of their own voice. It's not something they invented to get some sort of ego trip. If you flip over a couple more passages to 2 Timothy chapter 3, a couple more pages, pages, 2 Timothy 3. Starting in verse 14, 2 Timothy 3, 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Paul says, I taught you these things. Follow them. Continue in them. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, competent, equipped for every good work. The Word of God, the Scripture, it's profitable to us to teach us, to correct us, to train us. To train us in what? In righteousness. Holiness. Why? That the man of God, the servant of God, the saint of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we gather together, we pray together, we sing together, we open God's word together. And fourthly, we move on to the sacrament. We move on to communion. And if we have baptisms that day, and we have baptisms coming up on uh, September. I don't remember the date, but when we do announcements today, uh, we'll let you know of that date. But communion and baptism. Now, 1 Corinthians 11 talks about how when the church comes together, we should participate and, and take of communion together. Uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus shared with them the Lord's Supper. He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The pattern that we see in the book of Acts, I believe, is that the church partakes of communion every time that they come together on the Lord's Day. And so a few months ago, we moved from doing communion once a month to doing communion every week. And I know it has added time uh, to our gathering together, but... I think that it's worth the time to do. Amen. And so that's a change that we have made as we look at the Word of God and we say that we think that this is what God's Word is saying. And so we want to be faithful uh, to that. And then fifthly, so we have prayer, singing, Word, sacrament. And then what do we normally do at the end? Announcements. Announcements. Now, is it biblical to do announcements in church? Is that part of the regulative principle? Do we see that prescribed or modeled in the Word of God? Yes, we do, actually. Yes, we do. One example would be at the end of Romans, chapter 15. But not only Romans, but many other letters where Paul gives an update on his ministry. He he gives... A report. He gives announcements. And these letters were read to the church on the Lord's day when they gathered together. So let me read to you from Romans chapter 15, a couple verses. Paul says, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. 
Paul's just making some general announcements about stuff. And so we see this in the Word of God, that the, the, the church, God's people, should be informed about the things that are happening in the life of the church. And so these are the five things that we typically do when we gather together. And all of them are either prescribed in the Word of God or we see that they are modeled in the Word of God. Prayer, singing, praise to God, opening the Word together, taking the sacrament together, and even sharing some announcements with you about what's happening in the church. And all of this is worship. All of this is worship unto God. All of this we are to be engaging with God in our spirit. It doesn't stop when the music stops. Amen. And let me even encourage you, it shouldn't start when the music starts. It should start long before you get to 8635 Callahan. Your worship of God should start long before you pull onto Callahan Road. The, the drive to church is, is not the time to figure out where you're going to eat lunch. The, the drive to church is, is not that, you know, you can finish having the fight you were having last night with your spouse and hurry up and finish it before we get to church so we can repent before we take communion. No, it should, be, it should be a time where we're, even at that, beginning to focus our thoughts and our attention towards God. And I would even encourage you on Saturday night to be putting your thoughts and your attention on God and that you're going to gather with God's people tomorrow and I'm, I'm going to come and I'm going to worship God. I'm going to sing His praises I'm going to pray. I'm going to hear his word. I'm going to take his supper with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to fellowship together. That, that should start on Saturday night. Amen. I didn't get much of an amen on that at all. I think I'm, a, I think I'm, I think I'm meddling in your Saturday night routine, whatever <laughs> God-forsaken thing you're doing on Saturday night. This is a holy gathering. God is here. We should give it a high priority in our life. Now, we don't spend equal time on all of these things. In fact, we, it's obvious what we spend the most time on. We spend the most time on opening the Word of God together. We dedicate the most time to the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. Why do we do that? We do that because if you don't get this right, you're not getting anything else right. If you don't get the Word of God right and what the Word of God teaches right, you're not getting anything else right. You have to know the Word of God if we're going to follow God, live for God, serve God, love God, worship God, live for the glory of God. It's only through the revelation of God in his word that we learn and are equipped to do that. That's why I've been encouraging you so much to bring your Bibles to church. Because I want the, the word of God for the believer, the word of God should be central in our lives. Central in our lives. And going through the process of, of getting your Bible and bringing it to church, it starts that process in your spirit of, I'm going for a purpose. I'm, I'm going for a reason. I'm not just going to hang out for, for an hour or plus to, to check off something I have to do every week. No. And so as you make the effort to even bring your Bible, it's starting to train something in your mind. It's starting to do something for you. And then when you come and we worship God together and we open the scriptures together, there's a reason why I want you on this and not staring at the screen. There's a reason why I want you opening the Bible instead of looking at this Thing. 
if you're like me and you get this thing out, you're like, you have this pattern that you just like, will just go through app after app after app after app. Does anybody else do that? You just go from app to app to app to app to app to app to app. And if, you don't, if you're not paying attention, an hour of your time will go by just like that. Some of you say, that's why I use this phone in church. It makes it go by just like that. <laughs> but I, what, what I'm saying is, I, I personally, and, and maybe this is me putting my personal problems and reading them onto you, but may, maybe you're stronger than I am and, and more spiritually mature than I am. And if you are, praise be to God. But I have a hard time not getting distracted using this to read my Bible. If I try to read my Bible on this, the next thing I know, I'm reading the news. Not the good news, right? The bad news or the fake news, right? I, I have a hard time, I have a hard time focusing on God when I'm using this thing. And so I have to put this thing away if, when any time I read the Word of God because it, it, it's, it's a distraction to me. And so I don't want that to be a distraction to you in church. And you say, well, Pastor, why don't you just put the, the, word, the, the scriptures up on the screen like you used to do? It's faster and it's easier. And um, Well, frankly, I think we spend too much time staring at screens, okay? I just think we spend too much time staring at screens. Maybe I'm just an old Neanderthal. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of that in me. But have you noticed, have you noticed how... Um, have you noticed how some things that are digital and in the cloud that people are changing them and, and, and tampering with them? Have you noticed that? Have you heard about, how, like, let, let's just practical example. Have you heard about movies and how they're cutting certain scenes out of certain movies because they're not politically acceptable anymore? Listen, I don't care about that at all. I don't care about that at all. But if this is the only Bible that you have... Like, how long do we think it's going to be before they say, uh-uh, not getting that anymore? Or how long do we think it's going to be before they, they, they censor what the Word of God teaches about marriage or what the Word of God teaches about life beginning at conception and what the Word of God... I mean, they are the gatekeepers of this. The world is the gatekeepers of this. But this does not change. This does not change. You, you don't open this up one morning and... And you're, you're missing a passage of Scripture. You understand? So, so there, there's value. There, there's, a, there's a purpose to me encouraging to bring your, have you bring your Bible. The other thing, too, is the Bible is our weapon. The Word of God is a sword. It's what we fight against the enemy with. And if you're going to stand against the enemy and his onslaught in your life, it will only be because you are trained with your weapon. And you know how to use the word of God. And so I want you to know this book. To, to have an understanding of where is the scripture and where was it and how can I go find it again. Because I want you to know how to use the weapon that God has given you. Now I know we could save time by putting these verses back on the screen. I know it would be, you know, easier on your back if you didn't have to lug your Bible to church or whatever. <laughs> but there are other things that I value that I think as, as, a, as a church, I think there are things we ought to value more than just how fast can we get in and out of church on Sunday. And so I'm willing to take the extra few minutes to wait while we flip to these passages. I'm willing to wait. I, I think it's good for you, and I think it's good for us as a church. And again, that's maybe just my little soapbox. But my heart is that you would get the Word of God into you, and that you would make it central in your life and central uh, to your family. You know, that's why I asked, uh, I asked um, uh, Troy, Troy Summers to build this pulpit for me. Because it says something. It communicates something. It says we value the Word of God. And so when you walk in, the first thing you see is this big wooden albatross 
to, to carry and lift up the Word of God. And it just says that, you know what? God's Word's not like any other book. God's Word's not like the lyrics on the sheet. God's Word is, is worthy of reverence and honor, and, and it should be central in our lives. And so I'm looking for all of these little ways that I can encourage you as a dear saint and believer to make the Word of God central in your life and in your home. And that's why it's central in our gathering together. Amen. This past week, I had, I had lunch with a brother in the church, and he was telling me how his, his family is going through a really a time of refreshing from the Lord and, and how the, they used to spend their evenings, you know, just watching TV and, and this, that, and the other. But lately, they're, they're not doing that as much. They're, they're, when they're getting ready for bed, they're putting on worship music. They're worshiping the Lord together. That They're praying together as a family. That They're opening the Word of God together and, and how it's transforming their family. This is what I want for you. God's people are not called to live like the world. We're called to live separate from the world, different from the world. And so let's not pattern our families after the world. Let's not pattern our gathering together as the people of God after the world. But rather, let's base it on the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the floods came and the storms came and beat upon that house, it stood because it was founded on the rock. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The storms came, the floods beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I've shared that verse with you so many times, so many times. You know, personally, my, my family went through a lot this last decade. My, my father passing away, my mother passing away. We went through a lot. But our, our, our family did not come crumbling down because our family was built on the Word of God. Our church has been through a lot. Church has been through a lot. We lost our pastor we had a whole bunch of debt we didn't know about that we had to figure out how to pay off. God brought us through all of it. Our church is here today because our church was not founded on the sand or just doing things man's way, but our church was founded on the rock, founded on the word of God, a sure foundation. You know, when we were going through everything we went through last year, 2020, um, you know, I have a lot of pastor friends talking to a lot of friends about you know, what they were going through as a church. And, um, and it, was, it was hard and it was difficult for us. There's no doubt about it. Things we had to do, decisions we had to make, you know, a lot of confusion at times. But I never was fearful. I never was worried because honestly, we had been through way worse stuff than COVID as a church. The stuff we had been through before all of the chaos, I, 2020 was kind of like, we were, I was, we were ready for it. And so we kind of took it in stride and just kept going and, and praise be to God. But there was a lot of churches that never reopened their doors. And it's because they were not founded on the rock. They were not founded on the rock. And so when the storm came, the house fell. Listen, the storms are coming. Jesus promised the storms were coming. And just as it is for the house of God, so it is for your house, and so it is for your family. If you will make the Word of God central in your life, and because you value the Word, you will sing praises to God and worship Him. Because you value the Word, you will pray as He's commanded you to pray. Because you value the Word, you will gather with the people of God and come and worship God. But if you will make the word of God central in your life, the blessing of God will flow out to your family in ways that you can't even imagine. And when the storms come in life, which they're coming to all of us, 
Your house will stand. Your family will stand. It will not come crumbling down. That is the promise of God. There's two passages of Scripture I wanted to get to today, but once again, we've run out of time. But I would encourage you to read them. 2 Kings 22, 2 Kings chapter 22, Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Take some time this week. Read those passages. They're both talking about the people of Israel and how they went through a time of reformation. And what brought about their reformation was they, a rediscovery of the word of God. And the church in America today needs another reformation. And the only thing that will bring it about is a rediscovery of the word of God. Of doing things according to God's word. Not man's ideas. Not patterning it after the world. But if the church, if the church will dedicate itself to be devoted to the word of God, there will be a reformation in the church and there will be a revival in our land. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a blessing to us. Lord, we endeavor as best as we can. Lord, we're not perfect. We all have our faults and failures. We all have our blind spots. But as best as we can, we endeavor to do things according to your word, to bring you honor, to bring you glory. And so, Lord, as we continue to gather, as we will week after week, we gather for prayer. We gather to sing your praises. We gather to hear your word. We gather to take of communion. Lord, we even gather to hear some updates and announcements on what's happening in the life of the church. But Lord, all of it, all of it is worship unto you. Lord, help us to make the word of God central, not only in our gatherings together, but also in our lives, in our homes. Lord, forgive us for making other things the driving force, the central factor in our lives and in our families. Lord, we repent of making television the central factor in our home. Lord, we repent of making social media or cell phones or watching YouTube or whatever it is the central driving force of our homes. Let it be the worship of the true and living God. Let it be your word. Let it be our devotion to you by obeying your word that is the driving force of our lives and the central element in our homes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.